everyone, this is Larry from WSTrades.com. This podcast is about trading stocks and stock options. Any information in these podcasts should not be construed as advice. It's for educational and entertainment purposes only. We are not financial advisors. I'm doing our weekend update podcast. How are you doing, James? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? Good. Survived last week, even though it was a freaking killer. <laughs> yeah, I got a little... That rally just kept on going. <laughs> yeah. All right, you want to start this off? And uh, You had a bunch of trades closing, didn't you? Yeah, man. I lined up stuff for like... I want to say for like... Um, I don't know, a good month or six weeks, I lined up a ton of stuff for the April monthly contracts, and uh, I ended up getting 22 trades on, so trading 22 different tickers, um, which I felt was pretty good on the diversity side. I wanted to do more, but um, I kind of forgot about the weekend days, um, you know, of course, not being able to trade, and I thought I was going to be able to actually get in 30 uh, trades on 30 separate tickers and uh, just didn't work out because I totally forgot about those weekend days. So I got got in 22, though, which was pretty good. And um, I traded on stuff like uh, ARKK, um, EEM, EFA, EWZ, SPY, the Qs, DIA, TLT. Um, so yeah, just hitting a lot of different areas like tech and bonds and uh, just a ton of different things. i the Brazilian markets are in there. FXI is uh, China large cap. So I felt like I got a pretty good mixture in there. And um, there were 22 trades. And that dumb rally that just kept going and going and going. We were talking about it all week. And like, when is this thing going to die? And it uh, never really did. So that ended up getting me max loss on three positions. Um, one of them was SPY. Um, I ended up taking max loss on that. It was just a one wide though, so not really a big deal uh, taking max loss on any of these trades. But um, there was also um, XLU got me for max loss, and this is like a utilities uh, fund. And then also XLV ended up getting me for max loss, and that one is healthcare uh, fund like a healthcare ETF, I guess. And, um, and then I also had partial losses on EFA. Let me see what that is. I want to say that's like emerging markets or something. Um, and then XLI was another one, which was like, a, well, I guess that wasn't, oh yeah, that one was a partial loss. I lost like a couple bucks on that. Because I bought it back for thirty-four bucks. That one is industrial sector ETF. Um, so yeah, only five losing trades, I guess. Um, three max loss and two partial loss. But um, out of the whole mix of trades that I had on, I still had like a seventy-seven percent win rate, which is pretty good. So those other um, what is that? 17 trades or whatever were max profit. So I still ended up having a really good month. Um, I was kind of hoping partic- in particular spy, but the markets in general would just die like, before <laughs> yeah, Friday. Good luck. 
<laughs> it just I was like, man, this would be really great. Like if Spy or any of these other ones I was looking at, like XLU or XLV would just cool off, man, and they just never did. So um but even though, you know, I had a few losers in there, still had a seventy seven percent win rate and ended up having a uh still a really good month for the uh April monthly contracts. Nice. Yeah, it's uh so you you typically play monthlies, right? So you have a one time a month where pretty much everything is expiring. Yeah, I was I kind of wanted to do things a little differently and like try to go like if I made a trade one day, have the expiration like thirty days out, and then uh, you know maybe play that expiration for a few trades that week, and then maybe the following week maybe try to transition into one of the weekly contracts and still try to target about 30 days out. But I just noticed on a lot of these things, the volume on the weeklies just isn't there. There's a bunch of volume on the monthlies, but for, you know, for what I was looking at, it's just volume became a problem for me and I just couldn't trade these things. So that's why I started to do just um, the monthly contracts, but, kind of mix it in where I'm starting um I guess a good 60 days out like when I start trading the April contracts I guess I started trading those um in February and then for 30 days I would just place a trade each day against the Aprils and then once I came into mid-March or whatever and I was about 30 days out I just stopped trading the Aprils and then kind of moved on to the uh the next month, the May contract. So yeah, I'm kind of targeting the monthlies just because I couldn't find the volume in the uh, the other weeklies for the month. Yeah, that's kind of what I like. My like I've said before, my bread and butter after like going over over all of my trades is about fourteen to twenty one days or so to expiration. But that's something that I end up uh, having an issue with as well as the volume and. You know, if there's not a lot of volume on the the options, it's just not playable. Like the bid ask is super stupid. You're not going to get filled. Just a lot of issues that I run into. So that's why I I typically don't put on as many trades as you as well as, you know, if I look at something and the bid ask is like $100 wide, I'm not even touching it. I'm not trying to get filled on it and get some crap filled that I know I'm going to lose money, you know, right when I get into it. Right. Yeah, I've definitely have that issue for sure and then like another thing i notice sometimes too is when these tickers like spy go on these dumb rallies sometimes it like totally blows up the the strikes like for some of the months and like you go in there to trade something and it's like the thing went on such a massive rally that you look at the options chain and like it's like five wides or something or something you don't even want to play. And there's just like no strike. Like if you want to do a high probability play, like a 15 delta on the short, you'll go up there and look at it and you'll be like, well, what the hell is this? Like, I don't want to do a five wide or a 10 wide on DIA, you know, but like that's all that's available. So I've kind of ran into that problem too, where like the movement of the underlying has kind of jacked up the chain and sometimes I'll instead of selling like an iron condor, I'll just play the put side or something because there's nothing available on the call side that I like. Um, I know at one point I was playing that stuff 
when I really wasn't comfortable with it or I was coming closer to the money on the call side to get, like if I wanted to trade a one wide, I would come closer to the money and then it ended up screwing me over. So I'm like, you know what? I'm done with that. If I don't see the strikes that I want or the spread width that I want on one side, I'm just not going to play it. And maybe I'll just play the put side and do like a 30 Delta or something, you know, to still kind of have the same risk um, without playing both sides of the, the market. Yeah, I've done that before, too, where I did it fairly recently, too, where there was some, I don't remember what ticker it was, but I really wanted to get into the play, and I didn't want to do, I want to say it was a 250 or a 5 wide, and I was like, man, I don't want to risk that much on this, because I'm you know, fairly confident with it, but uh, I had to get closer to the money than it than I wanted to be in order to make it a one wide. And I was like, well, shit, I let's see. <laughs> and I got into it anyways. I believe it ended up working out for me, but it's, yeah, I've done that before where, you know, if things are just trading real weird, like there's been a lot of uh, crazy volatility and, you know, the, uh, the chain just gets blown up. So it seems like, you know, the makers just start throwing numbers out there like GameStop. I remember, they just didn't have options available when that whole <laughs> rally started. They were like, oh, crap, we didn't think GameStop was going to be at 500 bucks. Start typing. And they started putting up new uh, new option chains on it. Yeah, sometimes I see that, too, and I'm just like, man, can you guys update this and, like, give me some more, <laughs> give me some more strikes up here. I want to play the call side, but, like, nothing's available. So, yeah, it is what it is, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, let me go over my... Uh... I had a few things closing out last week. I had a CLNE. I went max profit on that. Uh, that thing was kind of stressing me out. It was like in the money, out of the money for that last week. And then ended up going max profit on it. Uh, G-O-L-D. I went max loss on that. I knew. I was looking at the chart. And I had these trend lines drawn. And it was just playing right at this trend line. And I was like, okay, if it breaks above this, I'm screwed. And hopefully it just kind of, you got three more days, just stay hanging out at this trend line. And then, you know, all of a sudden, I think it was Thursday and Friday, gold just freaking blasted off. So uh, max loss on that. Uh, FSR, I had a two wide put spread on them that, would have expired this week, but I ended up rolling into the next week uh, for an additional credit. Um, I was why I set that up. I was going to take shares at 15 bucks. I felt comfortable with that on FSR. And then they just blew way past any support of uh, any support they had. So I was like, yeah, I don't want to take shares at 15 bucks when it's trading at 13. So I ended up rolling that to next week. Uh, GXGX, that was just a long call I had. I bought it for 15 bucks, and they ended up uh, trading at 10.10 on Friday, so I ended up closing that out at a loss of 5 bucks. And SOS, uh, put spread I had on them, I believe it was the 450, 350 uh, puts. They ended up closing uh, under my short, so I took 100 shares of SOS, I'm still profitable on that. I they ended up closing at uh what they close at 435 or something. Yeah, so you know, I made 5 bucks on it. 
uh, or so far, but I, I hope they stop bleeding because crypto's just, uh, they're starting to rip right now. Mm-hmm. But yesterday, I believe it was, they had that massive sell-off. And then I think why they're ripping now is I saw a news story right before crypto started flying, you know, higher mm-hmm. was there was like some power outage in China that shut down uh, like the biggest mining uh, companies. So I guess uh, th- that's what they were saying. So once that news story came out, I think everyone just jumped back in. They're like, okay, it's cool. It's just a power outage. It's fine. So now crypto's <laughs> flying again. Yeah, it looks like that was just a massive sell-off, and now things are trying to recover. Yeah, yeah that's all I had closing this week. Yeah, Fisker, they're kind of annoying me right now, and I'm looking at their chart right now, and yeah, they just fell through what was pretty long-term support, and now it's like, great, where are they going to go down and test around maybe, I don't know, 11 or 10? I know there's another low point there on the daily of like 870. So, yeah, hoping they're finding a bottom here pretty soon because I got a long call on them, but it doesn't expire until like, january 2023 so i got some time yeah that's my worry with them is the next bottom i see is around 10 bucks so (laughs) you know hopefully you don't hit that it's like we were talking last week about the ev stocks is if it's not tesla then it's all just news driven Mm -hmm. like it's hopefully they come out and say oh we built you know whatever new car or we're going to start shipping or something like that because like with Tesla, they're an established company and, you know, they make cool cars. And I believe uh, Tesla just got a big NASA contract, too. So they're like involved in stuff and people know about them. So it's, you know, Tesla's super volatile, but these small EV companies, you know, they need these big news stories to come out in order to start pumping. So, you know, hopefully we hear something on Fisker. Yeah, because I had that crazy run up to like 32, and since then it's been pretty nasty <laughs> on the chart. Yeah, well, short squeeze like GameStop. Yeah, it would be great. I'm uh, <laughs> pretty sure FSR is trading on Robinhood, so here we go. <laughs> Fisker to 500, I'll take it. <laughs> All right, Um. so the topic we wanted to go over today was uh support and resistance and trend lines and kind of how you can use them like every episode we talk about you know the shares or the stuff we've gotten into and almost every time we talk about okay you know i'm looking at this chart and uh it looks like this is support and this is resistance and you know it's like one of my main things the way that i trade is finding support and resistance and uh, drawing trend lines. I know you don't draw trend lines, you know, as much as me, but for me, it's like, I have to do it because it just shows you where traders are comfortable with something. And like I, I did a video on, um, both support resistance and drawing trend lines. And it's crazy. Once you start drawing them, like I did it on, I don't remember if I filmed the video on, uh, target or if i just was drawing trend lines on target but i drew these trend lines that were like two years back and still to you know two years later 
the stock is still trading around that trend line. Like it comes into play. <laughs> it's crazy. And it's just all what traders are doing. And it's just thing the same thing with uh, like Fibonacci lines mm-hmm. is it doesn't make sense. It shouldn't make sense. But there are so many people that trade off of them. They make sense. It, if that makes sense. <laughs> I didn't mean to say sense <laughs> so many times. But it's like like you draw these lines and they shouldn't mean anything. Like if you look at a company and, you know, they just laid off half their staff and, you know, they're going through, you know, super hard times. But it hit this trend line. So everyone jumped back in. You know, it doesn't make sense. It should it shouldn't. But for some reason, you draw these trend lines and it's crazy if you draw them on like the weekly, how often they come into play. Yep, I've even seen it like on the shorter term time frames too because there was a point where I was day trading futures and I would, I would draw out trend lines like I'd have like a maybe a longer term uptrend line and then I'd have a shorter term downtrend line and they would meet, you know, and intersect at that point and the futures traders would trade them perfectly within that range like it would go up and hit the top line and reject it then it would come down to the bottom uptrend line and reject it and it would just bounce and bounce and bounce and i remember taking photos and sending them to you and i'm like you can't just go into this crevice and disappear like you guys are got to make a decision at some point like <laughs> is this thing going up or is this thing going down but they like you're saying people will everybody's looking at those and we'll play off of those and you know it's just insane sometimes when you're looking at those trend lines and those support and resistance lines and just how sometimes the price of the underlying or you know the stock or whatever will respect those it's just crazy yeah and that's like one of the most powerful trend lines is if you see a a wedge or a triangle uh, there's a million different names, pennants, flags, bear flags, bull flags, all that stuff. But mm-hmm. like you were saying with the futures, if you draw a trend line, which a trend line would be going from one high to if you see a clear next high, draw that line. And the same thing with the bottom. You would, If you see this clear bottom it made and then it kind of rallied up and then made a new bottom, draw it from that to that. And then if you see a triangle... And it's just trading within that triangle. You know, <laughs> as soon as it breaks either above or below that, it's going to be a big move. That's exactly how gold screwed me. They had this nice triangle pattern. And I knew as soon as they broke above that, I was done. Like I was going max loss on it. There wasn't anything I could do. Right. Yeah. And similar with the um, talking about the trend lines, but like also with the support and resistance, like I'm looking at Fisker right now. We've talked about this this long-term support that they've had around like 14 or 15 for a long time, like a few months, or oh, not a few months, like six months or something. And back in November, they blasted through, and then they kind of came down, and in early December is when they started to reject that 14, 15 area. So it came down and hit it, bounced off of it, came down and hit it bounced off of it so those are kind of what we're drawing out for like a support line and um you know they respected that for six months or something and then they blasted off up to 32 which was just ridiculous 
I remember I caught that wave and made, I don't know if I made like five or 600 bucks off of them when they did that move. And then I got out and, uh, I think my call just expired and I was just like, man, this was a dumb move. I'm just, I'm done for now. I'm going to wait until they come down to back to earth and the price is better before I get back in. And, um, recently it was this past week where they came down to test that area again around 1450 and there was just a big fat candle on the 14th where they fell through and then the 15th and the 16th just kept dumping so like the trend lines that's another uh, thing like you're saying people are looking at it and whatever the market participants do at that point um, people are just going to jump on the bandwagon and ride the wave. So in the case of Fisker, it fell through 1450 and it ain't looking pretty. So like you were saying, the next maybe area of support would be maybe around 10. Um, so yeah, my guess is, you know, they're going to keep dying and hopefully they find a bottom around 10 or something and, you know, start to bottom out and hopefully go back up. But yeah, it's like everybody's playing off of these lines, and when you break through one of those, whether it's support resistance or some, you know, long-term trend line, like you're saying, that's kind of where the ticker is going to go, and you know, people are going to ride the wave up and they're going to ride the wave down, and uh, yeah, definitely important to know, you know, where these support lines are where these resistance lines are and the trend lines just to kind of get the psychology of the buyers and sellers and like you're saying what uh, people are comfortable paying or what they think this company or you know this etf or whatever it is is actually worth yeah yeah there's one cool thing like if you don't want to well with thinkorswim that's why i love thinkorswim is if I draw a trend line on, you know, let's say FSR, I've actually got one on them at that uh, about 14, where's it at? About 1450 level mm-hmm. that I've had drawn on there forever. If I draw this on here, that line is there forever. I can go into the minute chart, I can do whatever I want. That line's there forever. So if I'm thinking about, you know, say it pops up on a scanner I have or whatever. I can look at Fisker and see, okay, well, they've got this level right here. Maybe I'm not going to trade this quite yet because they're like right at the support level, mm-hmm. which, you know, I probably should have <laughs> did last week before I got into that Fisker trade. Mm-hmm. But um, there's uh, usethinkscript.com. I believe it's .com. They have a um, indicator that you can download that's auto support and resistance. And it works kind of good. I don't use it very often, but like if you don't want to draw trend lines, or you know, you're, uh, I hear people say you know you're having trouble drawing trend lines, but it's like and support and resistance, but it's literally like one of the easiest things to do. Um, you can go download that again. Like you'll have to mess with the settings. I could never get it working the way I wanted it to, but it works fairly well. Um, but yeah, it's just. You got It's going to take a couple minutes to draw trend lines and find support and resistance, but it's, you know, for me, it's, I have to do it on, you know, my trades. So, you know, I, I should have with Fisker looked at it and been like, okay, it's trading near that trend line I drew, you know, maybe I'm going to wait and see if they bounce, 
but I just, I'm kind of bullish on Fisker. I like the company. Um, probably shouldn't, <laughs> you know, I should <laughs> look at the, the charts and just trade off of that. But with Fisker, I kind of, uh, I've made quite a bit of money off of them on, uh, trading over the years. So I don't know, I'm kind of, uh, permable on Fisker. So, you know, but you got to trade the charts. So maybe I should, uh, stick to my own program. Yeah, same thing here, especially they had that, I think what kind of fueled that crazy run up to 32 was that story about maybe the partnering with Foxconn or something to make the Apple car. Um, So if that actually does pan out and work out, I mean, I definitely see why, you know, you're uh, bullish on them. And that's why I got back into them too. When they came down to around 16, I'm like, okay, I like this price again because I've seen them at 32. So I'm okay getting in at this point, you know, I'm not risking, um, that much. And especially with a call, if you're long a call and it's especially like an out of the money call, you're not going to be at as much, as much risk as actually holding a hundred shares, because if they went bankrupt, you'd be out 1600 bucks in that case. Right. If you got in at the 16 mark, um, so that's kind of one of the cool things too, I guess, about trading, uh, options and going long calls versus buying shares. Um, but to your point too, like, yeah, you know, you have this kind of long-term mindset on a company. Um, but when they broke through that 1450, geez, man, they just kept selling off. So yeah, got to always keep an eye on the trend lines and those support and resistance lines for sure. Yeah. Well, that's, perfect about uh with the market in general after the corona crash everyone and their mom was like why is this rallying why are we at where we're at and you know nobody man i remember going on uh wall street bets those guys over there just losing their minds because they bought puts they're like there's no way this is going up and they just kept on and kept on buying puts and the market just kept on rallying and everyone over there is like, oh, screw the Fed. They're just printing money and propping everything up. <laughs> right. It's like, well, first off, don't fight the Fed. And secondly, just, you know, trade the charts. Like, what is yeah. the chart saying it's doing? Spy wasn't going anyway. It was definitely not falling down. So why are you selling, you know, way out or buying way out of the money puts thinking everything is going to die, which, you know, technically it probably should have been in a downtrend. But that's not the way it was, you know, the chart. That's not what the chart was saying. So trade the chart, man. Yeah, that's what I noticed, too, during that time. Uh, I want to say it was the last week of March or something. We hit the very bottom. And uh, I was just we were talking about it and we're like, no, it's going lower. It's going lower. I think TVIX was at like a thousand or something. And I was just, I was along on TVIX and I was just like, man, this is just going to keep selling off, keep selling off. But in reality, things were so low already. Like Ford was at three bucks. Uh, Space was at nine bucks. Like things were just so low. And I, we were thinking it was going to go even lower. And then after about two weeks of people buying, I realized, oh, crap, it's this is it. You know, that was the bottom. I missed the bottom <laughs> two weeks ago. And that's the point that I went long. And, you know, thankfully, I didn't wait any longer. And like you're saying, I looked at the charts and I'm like, dude, there's too much. That was such a violent rejection that 
things are recovering you know there's at least a bottom down there so i'm gonna go long and yeah it worked out pretty good so yeah definitely rely on the those in you know those trend lines and those support and resistance lines to help you out yeah one thing i forgot to do in the video uh that i made on trend lines and support and resistance was talk about things that can affect like support when you draw a trend line you're like okay this is and i remember walmart was a perfect perfect example for me i had these trend lines drawn and walmart was playing off of this one trend line uh just kind of trending up perfectly and there are certain things that don't care about your trend lines and what's <laughs> going on and that's a news story either a good news story or a bad news story, which bad news story was for Walmart when I was trading them. Uh, some story came out that they were, their doctors were like helping people get uh, opioids or something. And then they just sold off hard after that. So um, another yep. thing is earnings. Earnings don't care about trend lines. They typically, you're going to see massive moves uh, one way or the other off of earnings um, God, there were two more that I was thinking about. Just economic collapses like coronavirus spreading throughout the world is another one that can just totally, <laughs> I mean, boy, all those people that were just buying for like, what was it? Like 12 years since the 08 real estate yep. crash, stock market crash, people were just buying and it was just a bull market. And yeah, all those calls expired worthless. <laughs> <laughs> once corona kind of spread that was like all those trend lines were done yeah oh that's another one just general market sell-offs or or basically a sell-off because a rally doesn't t well i don't know after the corona rally that was quite the freaking <laughs> boom so yeah just if the market in general like the uh main indexes are either flying or dying that that can definitely just any trend line you drew on a certain stock just wipe that thing out Right. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, did you have any tickers you were looking at getting into next week? Yeah, I had such um, good luck the last few months with some of the stuff I was playing that I definitely want to keep trading um, some of these tickers and uh, been getting pretty diverse on some of them. So there was one uh, probably this week that I'll put a trade on. It's XLF. It's a financial sector um, ETF. There was also XLRE, I think. Let me see here. It's another one I was looking at, which is, yeah, real estate. That's like a real estate ETF. Um, and then there was also XLU, I believe, which is that same utilities sector. And I might play the call side on that one because that was one that got me. Uh, bit me max loss on the call side, so I know they've been on a big rally. So I might just play the call side on that and expect them to be a little cyclical. Um, XLV was another one, which was um, also bit me the healthcare ETF. So I might be playing the call side on that one. And then um, I think XLI was one more I'll probably get a trade on, which is, yeah, industrial sector ETF. So definitely looking at those five tickers for this week. Yeah, I haven't looked at a lot of stuff, but one thing I'm 
pretty bullish on, or sorry, uh, bearish on, even though they sold off over 15% on Friday's edit because they blasted through this nice support level. So I think they're going to pull a Fisker and mm. might even track down to around, you know, 28 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, there's so, some pretty long-term price action around that. Well, I guess like in between like 21 and 37 or something. They kind of traded in that range for the longest time. And then, yeah, they blasted off. Um, that last candle, yeah, that's a nasty candle, I guess, on Friday. But they're a lot, they seem to be a lot hugging that 21 EMA a lot better than Fisker was. It looked like Fisker was just like, yeah, they're they're gapped hard down right now. Fisker's really far away from the 21 EMA, but with edit, like you're saying, even though they had that big dump, they're at least a little closer to the 21 EMA, so they're not not looking as bad as Fisker, I guess. Yeah, but the thing that makes me bearish on them is, you know, they were playing around that 21 a lot. And then mm-hmm. on Friday, they, you know, had a nice, like, support level at around 36, 20. Mm-hmm. And just after hour, not 36, 20. Yeah, around 36, 20. And then after, um, on Friday, they ended up blasting through that. And mm-hmm. further away from the 21. So it's making me kind of like getting uh, bearish on them. Yeah, and, I mean, as far as the 21 EMA there, uh, being a little closer to it, I guess. I mean, compared to Fisker, like maybe you could actually catch more of that move downwards too, depending on kind of how you want to play it. I don't know if you're thinking about maybe selling a call spread up there. But um, yeah, they might have, like you're saying, a ways to move down. Uh, before they find any support. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I'm just going to... might just wait on everything, because this rally <laughs> is really irritating me, man. Yeah. Are you looking at futures right now? Yeah, Dow is down, but NASDAQ is up 15 points. So, yeah, this is stupid. Yeah, and <laughs> S&P was down like 0.3%. Now they're only down 0.13%. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, dude, this—I guarantee this is all just earnings. Which, again, we were talking about trend lines, and earnings don't give a crap about your trend lines. It, you know, oh, this company beat, so you know everything needs to rally. It doesn't. <laughs> this is ridiculous. S and P is like still over four AT. Are they over four ATR? They're pretty, pretty close. Sure they're I was looking, I wasn't, let me look that up really quick because we were talking about SPY and how it didn't show up on a scanner or something, or maybe you had maybe set up a scanner for, um, for that. And let me see here because I had that on the, I want to say they were maybe right below it or something. I'm going to put the cloud study thing. They're like right below the four right now, but they're definitely above the three. Like they closed above the three <laughs> ATR. So, I mean, I'm just waiting for the bottom to fall out for sure. I was kind of thinking about it. I was talking to you about it and I was like, I don't know if I should short them or just go up and sell a call spread on them. But yeah, this is coming back, man. Like this ain't going to every time. And like even the last year, like during the crazy uh, Corona 
rally you were talking about, every time they got above three, even above four wants, there was a good 25 to 30 point pullback on SPY. So, you know, this ain't going to last for sure. Yeah, well, like I said, I think earnings is propping this thing up, which Mm -hmm. it's once earnings are, that's what I kind of should have done is looked at, you know, who was reporting earnings mm-hmm. and played off of that because um, once they hit, they closed above three ATR. I went and mm-hmm. bought a, uh, I want to say it was like the 10 Delta uh, put on spy mm-hmm. because I was like, okay, no way, no way is this continuing. So <laughs> I didn't think they were going to hit that 10 Delta, but I thought, you know, the sell off was coming and, you know, it would increase in value and I could more than likely double my money. Yeah. Well, didn't happen. <laughs> so <laughs> not yeah. It's coming down. It's just like, yeah, is it gonna be on tomorrow? Is it gonna be on Wednesday? <laughs> like eventually this has got to come back to earth. And yeah, I was thinking how to play it too. I might just go conservative and still go um sell a call spread or something maybe just play the call side maybe not play the put side um maybe something for uh i guess the may i don't know if i have a may position in spy right now i might but yeah got to make some kind of a play on this area that it's in right now yeah that's what was worrying me too about my like typically with my spy iron condor i have on i would have moved my puts up and collected a little more credit but where spies at it, I don't want to touch my puts. Cause I'm like, this thing's got to come back down and it's mm. probably going to come back down pretty damn violently. Mm. So I didn't touch them. And now, you know, my call side, both legs are in the money by a buck. So it's like, yeah, I'm just going to wait and see this. It shouldn't continue. Everything's telling me it's not going to continue, but you know, <laughs> if it does, then screw it. I'm, you know, it is what it is. Mark's going to do what it wants. Right. And you were, we were talking about edit before that. And yeah, they're already busted through and looking like they're heading down. So if the markets in general start to dump, yeah, edit's going to probably dump even harder. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm looking at a lot of bearish position positions for, uh, to get into next week. Cause I'm, I'm <laughs> anticipating a decent sell off, but you know, like we've been talking about, who knows? Yeah, you might need to give it another week or something just to be safe. But yeah, can't stay afloat forever. All right, uh, I want to do some quick uh, website updates. So, oh, I got to go to the site. Um, I had a couple things to our website that hopefully can help people. And I created two new scanners that I was just kind of, thinking about things and um, what could maybe kind of make sense in a scanner. And I came up with two new ones that are bullishly and uh, the opposite scanner is bearishly stacked EMAs with the RSI that's either oversold or overbought. So to me, that's telling me that something like the bullishly stacked EMAs with an RSI that's oversold tells me it's in a long-term uptrend but for whatever reason uh they sold off and now they're oversold so i would to me kind of make sense you know it's in a 
long-term uptrend. They just had a sell-off for whatever reason. You could anticipate um, a reversal. So I have those two new scanners on the website. I also built an ATR cloud study that uh, draws clouds. And you'll have to, um, for the podcast listeners, go over to the website and actually see the visual. But it draws clouds um, in between ATRs from uh, one ATR to two ATR is one color from two to three and three to four. Uh, so you can just really quickly see um, how far away a certain underlying, you know, whatever you're looking at on your chart is trading from their average true range, which is, you know, average true range is, you know, say it's $2. If it's trading at $4, then, you know, you're way above your normal trading range. So like me and James were talking today, uh, SPY is almost at four ATR. So it's trading four times out of the range that it normally does. So it's kind of a, just a quick, easy way to see, you know, how this, you know, whatever underlying is trading. And that's all I did on the website, man. Did you have anything else you want to go over? No, man. I think that's it. I think we covered it all. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, definitely go over to the YouTube channel and subscribe because a lot of the stuff me and James talk about, we've done, you know, visuals where you can see what we're doing. Um, definitely do the podcast subscribe so you know when we upload these because we do our weekend ones all the time and then we also do me and james will just upload uh separate ones whenever we have something come out and um i'd like to get people to start sending us uh messages through the anchor app so we could answer their questions on a podcast and you know they can get a response i think that'd be pretty cool and uh yeah that's all we got All right, man. I guess I'll see you on the next one. All right, man. Catch you later.